This podcast contains foul language, dark humor, and graphic content. It is not a commentary on the death penalty, nor does it represent our personal opinions on the matter. You've been warned, so just be cool. All right, this week we are going to be discussing a group of inmates who literally play ball in order to avoid execution. Swing, batter, batter, batter. Or swing, batter, batter, batter. We're going to be discussing both. Hey! (laughs) You know, it's the last one of the season. I have to try. (laughs) You you got to get it in while you can. Right, exactly. I'm Nancy. I'm Drew. And this is Death Row Kitchen. Death Row Kitchen. Welcome to Death Row Kitchen, where the crimes are real and the food does not matter. I'm Nancy, true crimatic. And I'm Drew, an armchair detective. Join us as we explore the life and crimes of death row inmates and their curious choices in last meals. Alright, ready to just dive right in? I mean, murder and baseball. This sounds great. It's Let's both of America's it. favorite pastimes. Favorite pastime? Yes, yes, exactly. Two things at which America excels. Yes, absolutely. All right. July 18th, 1911 is a hot, sunny day in Rollins, Wyoming. A crowd has gathered at the baseball diamond, waiting for the game to begin. The Wyoming Supply Company juniors toss a baseball around, waiting for their opponents to arrive. Dressed in dark blue uniforms with white WSP embroidered on their fronts, 12 men shuffle onto the field ready to play ball. The Wyoming Supply Company Juniors are known as the best Bush League team in the area. Comprised of 12 men in their 20s and 30s, every player is an employee of the plumbing and supply business. Their opponents could not be more different. The WSP's roster is comprised of three rapists, a forger, five thieves, and three murderers. This team is the Wyoming State Penitentiary All-Stars, and each player is an inmate serving time at the local state pen located in Rawlings. Oh. My God. I... <laughs> How, why is this... Not, why does this not happen more often? Right? Right? I mean, we have the longest yard with football. Like, we get it. But the smile on my face right now is just... I know! (laughs) This, this, I've been waiting all season to do this one, and it makes me so happy. I, I, this just makes me feel like, almost like a, like a, like a Roman, like just like a Roman citizen, just like sitting in the freaking Coliseum, like, ooh, entertainment today. Right? I, yeah, I know. <laughs> We're going to watch the prisoners fight. <laughs> we are. To the death. They're like Thunderdome, you know? <laughs> Thunderdome. <laughs> kind of. It's just 
Uh, right? It's, this is amazing. I don't know. It is. It is amazing. Uh, the Carbon County Journal mentions the All-Stars top player, Joseph Sang, who was convicted of murder in the first degree and was sentenced to death, played a classy game all the way through. He will petition the governor to commute his sentence to life imprisonment sometime this month. Wow. Joseph, yeah. Yep. Joseph Singh hits two home runs during this game. One even is a grand slam. The Wyoming State Penitentiary All-Stars will win their first game 11-1. The Washington Post Holy headline shit. reads, oh, Slayer scores home runs. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. This, this whole thing is just delightful. The Wyoming State Penitentiary, located in Rawlings, opened in 1901. The prison is run by local millionaire businessman Otto Graham. The state pays Otto to run the prison, and in turn, Otto pays for the prisoners out of his own pocket. Otto runs a tight ship. Quote, calculating inmate meals down to the last bean so that just enough food is served to prevent starvation. Okay, do you watch Bob's Burgers ever? Uh, no, only at Thanksgiving where Linda sings her mashed potato song. Oh my god, okay. Well, do you know Mr. <laughs> Fish Odor? <laughs> like, the crazy no. millionaire? Okay, because no, that's who no, I'm envisioning. <laughs> As the Otto Graham. Um, I'm Mr. Fish Odor. Um, okay. Played I'll by Kevin Klein. Okay. Oh! Very, I mean, just your okay. standard eccentric billionaire. Gotcha. Well, I love Ke Kevin Klein, so I'll just imagine him. Okay. Perfect. Otto puts the inmates to work in his privately owned broom factory. Under Otto's leadership, uh, conditions in the prison are described as, quote, merciless and, uh, quote, of the dark ages. Shit. The inmates are forced to work long hours in cramped, windowless, ventless rooms. It is estimated that some inmates do not see the sunlight for over 10 years as they work for Otto. Additionally, the Crossbar Hotel, as the state penitentiary is known, does not have electricity or running water. What the fuck? Yeah, even for early 1900s, this sounds pretty barbaric. This is like third world. It absolutely is. Like, like, a, like French Guinea prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except they're in Wyoming and there's no way to escape by canoe this way. Yep, no canoes in Wyoming. No. <laughs> April 1911, the state of Wyoming bans Autogram's system of prison stewardship. Otto is released from his position as prison warden. Bighorn County Sheriff Felix Alston is brought in as the new warden and he looks like a young Sam Elliott with big old bushy mustache. I do love me a good Sam Elliott. That man can still get it. He's like, very iconic. Yes. Yes, it is. I love that mustache. 
Sheriff Alston is less rigid and more compassionate than his predecessor. He reduces broom factory production, he institutes a road repair and building program that allows inmates to leave the prison during the day, and Sheriff Alston creates an outdoor exercise program for the inmates. Sheriff Alston is based. Yeah. Yes, he is. One of the more popular activities for the inmate exercise program is pick up games of baseball. Much like the rest of America, Sheriff Alston loves baseball. He enjoys watching the inmates during their rec time. The sheriff notices that several of the inmates are rather good at playing ball. An idea begins to formulate. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is adorable. I mean, it sucks that they're prisoners, especially that like they're rapists, but this is adorable. Right? I know. It's... Wait till you see the team pictures. I, like, can't get... I'm trying... Like, somewhere in this episode, there's going to be a Field of Dreams and or a League of Their Own joke. There's, yeah. they're, they're coming. <laughs> they're coming. So, thus, the Wyoming State Penitentiary All-Stars are born. Led by team captain and convicted murderer George Sabin, the team of 12 inmates are known for their professional behavior on and off the field. George Sabin is a well-known figure in Rollins, Wyoming. He is a well-connected cattle rancher until he is convicted of murdering three sheep herders in a dispute over grazing land. Most of Rollins, a cattle town, supports George, including his best friend, Sheriff and Prison Warden Felix Alston. <laughs> oh, well, that worked out. I know. <laughs> George had four fingers, two on each hand, amputated at the second joint. As a consequence, he could not grip nor throw the baseball as well as the other players. Instead, he managed the team and helped them practice by batting balls. Next is pitcher Thomas Cameron. Thomas is a 20-year-old coal miner originally from Tennessee. He's also a convicted rapist. Tom's calm, cool demeanor and his mean fastball earn him a spot on the team. Shortstop is Joseph Guzardo, and he is serving time for manslaughter. First baseman Eugene Rowan earned his spot on in the state pen with convictions for rape, attempted rape, and breaking and entering. And second baseman, Frank Fitzgerald, is serving time for breaking and entering. And third baseman, John Crotty, has been convicted of grand larceny. James Powell is the team's catcher. He is also serving time for rape, attempted rape, and breaking and entering. Sidney Potter is the team's center fielder. He's a convicted forger. Left fielder Earl Stone has been convicted of breaking and entering. The backup left fielder and general utility player, Aura Carmen, is serving time for grand larceny. And H.A. Pendergraft, the backup pitcher, is also serving a sentence for grand larceny. And finally, the team's star player is utility player Joseph Singh. Joe, born in a family of German immigrants, grows up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He'll later be described as, quote, having a natural aptitude for baseball, but never displayed ambition for much else. Joe moves out west following the railroad. 
He is hired on as a Union Pacific Railroad security guard. It is his job to keep the rail yard safe and secure. Joe becomes close with his boss, William Lloyd. He also becomes close with William Lloyd's wife, Alta. William Lloyd is often away from home investigating cases for the railroad. It is during one of these investigations that Joe and Alta Lloyd take their friendship to the next level. Their affair goes unnoticed for several months. It is unclear exactly when William becomes suspicious. During a confrontation in the street, Joe Sang shoots and kills William Lloyd. Joe will maintain that he was acting in self-defense and that William had threatened both Alta and himself. Despite his claims of self-defense, Joe Sang is convicted for the murder of William Lloyd. He is sentenced to death. The only thing keeping him from the gallows? His ability to play baseball. That's so fucked up and cute at the same time. <laughs> it really is. Sports! Right? <laughs> Sports ball. Everyone involved has a vested interest in keeping the All-Stars in the win column. For the inmates on the team, the more wins they earn, the more time off for their sentences. Team captain George Saban tells the players, quote, Mistakes on the field will not be tolerated. Prisoners who make errors that cost the team a game will have more time added to their sentence. Winning will lead to reduced time and stays of execution. Holy shit! Right? It's so, like, if you fuck up and, like, miss a foul ball, you will have additional time added to your prison sentence. <laughs> yeah. You that better fucking was... focus. Right? Yeah, you better fucking play baseball. <laughs> George Saban also has another reason to lead his team to victory. His gambling habits. Due to his reputation around town and his close friendship with prison warden Sheriff Alston, George is allowed to dress in civilian clothing and hang around in town. Okay, it sounded really shitty at the beginning, but I think this is the prison I want to go to. <laughs> like, I'm not really good at baseball. <laughs> I, I can but, catch decently. I can't throw, though. I'll be the mascot. Perfect. Yep, I could see that. Love it. George also enjoys going to the local watering holes and leaking information about the baseball teams to the locals. He uses this information to influence what bets are placed on the team. Of course, George does all of this for a 20% cut of everyone's winnings. Also involved in his gambling scheme is the Wyoming State Governor, Joseph M. Carey. Governor Carey is also a close personal friend of Sheriff Alston's and thus turns a blind eye to the gambling going on. Gambling, especially betting on sporting events, is illegal in the state of Wyoming at this time. The All-Stars enjoy their celebrity status, both among the citizens of Rawlings and their fellow prison inmates. They also receive special considerations, including better food at mealtimes. This special treatment does anger some of the other inmates. In particular, one Lorenzo Paseo becomes enraged at star player Joe Sang. Paseo plots to have Sang killed on a number of occasions. 
During one assassination attempt, a prisoner shackled with a ball and chain climbs the stairs in the guard tower. Joe Seng is sitting several stories below, chatting with a guard. The shackled prisoner picks up a box of sand used as a trash receptacle and tosses it over the railing. In order to continue his conversation, Joe ducks to one side, narrowly avoiding the falling box. The shackled prisoner then cuts off his ball and chain and tries to drop this on Joe as well. Joe is also able to avoid this attempt. So, did, did is this guy a wily e. coyote? <laughs> it, it does seem like he is a little bit here, especially. That is ridiculous way to try to kill somebody. Dropping a bag of sand on them. A I box know. of sand. I guess it was like 25 pounds too. Like, it, that, that would kill you. Yeah, it would. Okay, that's actually maybe effective. Uh, still, other inmates attempt to escape the prison. Two inmates take off from their roadwork assignments. Sheriff Alston personally tracks them down and escorts the inmates back to the Wyoming State Penitentiary. And this guy, Lorenzo Paseo, tries to, like, blame Joe and say he's in on this, but there's no evidence and everybody denies he's involved in any of the prison escapes. Like, they're like, no, this is stupid. Nah, he's, he's got a good gig going on. He's playing ball. Why would he... Exactly. Why would he fuck right. around? In order to settle the inmates down and to protect his star baseball player, Sheriff Alston enacts improvements to the prison, including updated restrooms and better screens on the windows allowing for better ventilation in the prison. He also institutes a daily roll call for the inmates. August 4th, 1911, the Wyoming State Penitentiary All-Stars face off against the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors and the second of four games between the two teams. Much like the first game, this one is held at the baseball diamond within the prison walls. Inmates and guards make up most of the attendees. Can you imagine being the Supply Company Juniors and playing in a prison? Right? Like, that will fuck up your game. Just, like... Talk about home court advantage. Oh, yes. Yes, this is definitely home court advantage. The Laramie Daily Boomerang describes the game. Quote, A game of baseball was played at the penitentiary stockade between the prisoners team and the Wyoming Supply Company juniors, in which the prisoners were victorious, winning by a score of 11 to 1. Sang, who was convicted at Evanston for murder in the first degree, was one of the star players of the convict team, getting four hits out of four times at bat, and played an errorless game. Joe Sang also establishes himself as the assistant to the prison doctor, Dr. McGee. When Sang was still living in Allentown, he often worked with the local pharmacist. He used these skills to help Dr. McGee take care of patients. Joe gathers patients' vitals, administers basic first aid, and manages inventory for the prison infirmary. The prison infirmary is small, holding only 10 beds, and is also only equipped to handle basic injuries and illnesses. Any inmate with something more complicated is taken off-site to the local hospital. Additionally, the the infirmary boasts a large glass window overlooking the gallows. 
Oh, that's not dark at all. <laughs> I know. If that doesn't encourage you to heal faster, I don't know what does. <laughs> You're something. Like, something's got to change. Either you got to learn how to play baseball or you got to make a good escape. Right. <laughs> August 13th, 1911 is the third game between the All-Stars and the Supply Company Juniors. The All-Stars win this game with a score of 11 to 4. Okay, Company Juniors, you're 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 getting the hang of it a little bit. Right, but yeah. Still a shutout, but okay, less embarrassing. Yeah. Joseph Sang's execution is scheduled for August 22nd, 1911. This date comes and goes without an execution. August 29th, 1911, is the fourth and final game between the inmates and the plumbing company staff. According to local newspaper, quote, the juniors did not play up to their usual standard, and in consequence, the prisoners captured the game by a score of 15 to 10. The supply company juniors only had two additional losses besides the four games they lost to the inmates. Uh, okay, that is awesome. Yes. So these guys like really now we have now we have like contenders. Now we have like an equal uh foe. Yeah. Yeah. So these so the supply company guys are generally known as a really great baseball team. So I do think there is something to your home field advantage for the prisoners that it really affected their psyche and it really messed with their game. I think so too. I don't. I mean, like, how could it not? Right. Just even being like, like going through the prison security to get to the baseball diamond is probably stressful enough. Right, and like it's probably hard to be a man in 1911 and not know somebody that's been to prison. But if you haven't known anyone who's been to prison, you've never been to prison. You've never visited anybody in prison. And, like, now you're playing baseball, like, where they hang people in the prison? Like, that, yeah. I would I would say you could probably get a little shook. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, shoot, I was going to make a point, and I don't remember. Mm, oh, that's right. Uh, I will say every media source from the day specifically mentions how well-behaved everyone is. Like, the convicts, the inmates watching the game, everybody is super polite, super professional. So even though the juniors are probably pretty rattled, at least on the field, everybody is a good sport. That's cool. Yeah. Respect. Right? Absolutely. See, that's, like, why organizations use sports, like, in, um like battle zones like not battle zones but um like what are, like between like the border of Israel and Palestine like there's organizations that teach the kids to play soccer together um there's something like that in like Derry in Northern Ireland where they like have the kids come together and play like the Protestants and the Catholics come across the border and they play sports together um like it's actually a really good diplomatic tool to have the kids play sports so it's mm -hmm. it kind of seems like that's you know the respect of the sport is is translating even to prisoners yeah what was it i can't remember if it was world war one or world war two but they have that ceasefire 
between Germany and the Allies where they get together and play soccer for an evening. Yes, for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what which one it was. I want to say one, but don't call me on that. I think it's one because of the trenches. Like, literally nothing yeah. else was going on. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they get into no man's land and just play play some footy. Right? Which, you know, being a big sports fan, there's nothing that draws you together with a stranger like your sports team. I will Truth. say. <laughs> Truth. And it's best you don't know that stranger outside of the sport. Yes. Like, just because they're probably a terrible person and you probably disagree (laughs) on everything. But when you meet them in the bar and they know the history and you know the team and, like, they can fill you in on stuff and, like, you've got memories from blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a great feeling. Yes. Yep. Especially here. I mean, we're both living in an area that is not like we're, we're living outside the home territory of our favorite teams. Right. Right. So we're, we're living in enemy, enemy territory. And you know, when I go to the bar and I see the other blues fan there and I'm like, Oh man, like I know we're going to have a good time. You especially, I don't have that so much like because Chicago's big 10 Mecca. So yeah, that's like, true. There's so many different big 10 fans and there's like five Ohio state bars. <laughs> So, like, I'm pretty set, um, but it was rough living south of the Mason-Dixon in SEC territory. Fuck the SEC. Um, Yeah, bitter. Yeah, I don't like it. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Ooh, roll tide. Go Gamecocks. Okay. Oh, by now, political opponents of Governor Kerry, in addition with former prison warden Otto Graham, have be- have become disgruntled with Sheriff Alston, his baseball team, and with the increase in gambling and betting brought on by George Sabin. Under pressure, Governor Kerry begins cracking down on gambling in the state. He also pressures Sheriff Alston to disband the All-Stars and find a new occupation for the inmates. Additionally, winter weather begins setting in, making it impossible for the inmates to practice or play ball. November 11... November. November 1911 is a busy month for the prison. Sheriff Alston does enact a new education initiative for the prisoners. Additionally, the prison infirmary is overrun with violently ill inmates. Sweating, feverish, and constantly vomiting... Dr. McGee and Joe Sang are overwhelmed with patients. It is eventually determined that the inmates have been poisoned, and it is suspected that former prison warden Otto Graham was behind the poisoning. What a fucking evil Bond villain. Yes, he hates that he is no longer in control of the prison so much that he gets to visit because they still use some of the broom factory equipment he technically owns, so he'll like go to the prison like oh i need to inspect the broom factory and he's fucking around and poisoning people what a dick yeah yeah he's nasty Mm -hmm. he also made millions off of this broom factory when he was in charge a broom factory it's 1911 you it's oddly specific (laughs) (laughs) but okay point taken who the fuck else is gonna make brooms 
Right? Exactly. It's like, who else makes license plates these days? Right? Yeah. Exactly. Dr. McGee and Joe use a mixture of Coca-Cola and mustard to further induce vomiting in the inmates. This helps them purge the poison from their bodies. The whole incident lasts about 24 hours. It sounds like a terrible 24 hours. Yeah, mustard and Coke would make me want to vomit, too. Uh, just... Yeah. Like, have you ever had food poisoning? Oh, yes. It is horrific. Right? Can you imagine, like, 30 people doing that all at the same time? Especially since I'm a sympathetic puker. Like, I will... Oh, nope. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Like, once something, like, grosses me out, like, it's kind of... Like, I have to, like, physically talk the vomit back down. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Like, because I'm not even really sick. I'm just, like, so grossed out that I kind of want to vom. Um, and I don't really vom. Well, okay, back in the day, I didn't vom that easily. Since I've gotten older, it seems like I vom very easily. <laughs> um, so, no. I And, and like, you know, space-wise, like... Where are they all puking? Yeah. So... You know? Like, they can't all have trash cans or plastic bags or be in the toilet at the same time. Yeah. Apparently, this is, like, truly awful. Like, Joe and Dr. McGee are running around with buckets, like, trying to catch one person's puke and then, like, running to the next person and trying to catch theirs and then trying to, like, empty the bucket for the next route. Like, it's just horrific for 24 hours oh my god like also i don't know why maybe it's just the sound or maybe it's like Uh. i I don't know but for whatever reason i find other people vomiting to be incredibly funny um (laughs) i just i just think it's funny like Like, South Park, anytime Stan talks to Bebe, like, he can't actually talk and he just vomits. Like, I can't watch mm-hmm. those episodes with people. <laughs> God, you're kind of so, an like, Even if I felt terrible, like, the sound or sight of everybody else vomiting. Wow. I think I would just find that too funny. You're kind of an asshole. <laughs> I know. I know. And, like, I know how much it sucks. Like, I've obviously puked before. And, like, yeah. I've been, you know, like, all different kinds, right? Like, there's the, like, the too drunk to function. You just yep. gotta get it out. Yep. Um, but, yeah, then food poisoning. Um, some kind of flu. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know that I've ever thrown up from motion sickness. But, like, yeah, I know how it feels. And I still think it's funny. <laughs> Jeez. I think it's just the sound. Like, oh, I hate that sound. I don't know. I <sighs> oh God, don't. And you're not. You're like you're so. It's like so instinctual. Like, like ugly cry, ugly puke. Yep. Yep. So the Hardy Boy has been sick this week. He's had an upper oh. respiratory infection. It's not. COVID, his test came back negative, but he's been doing that like... Oh, good. <sighs> oh, man. That is simultaneously nails on a chalkboard and gag-inducing for me, and I cannot fucking stand it. It's 
horrible. The gag inducing, not so much, but nails on a chalkboard, totally oh. get it. Oh god, I just like even imagining it kind of grates my ears right now. Yeah. I literally have to like I'm like if you're going to do that more than once, you have to tell me so I can leave the house and go do something else. Because <laughs> I cannot listen to this and anymore. This is, this is why women murder their husbands. It, it is. It absolutely is. Like, if you're going to do it, you, you do it over this. Yeah. Oh, 100%. If we survive, if our marriage survives this, it's going to be a miracle. <laughs> oh, man. Also, Coca-Cola and mustard, huh? Right? What a... And this is back when Coke still had actual cocaine in it, so that's a hell of a mixture. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that. So it's probably super sugary and then fucking hopped up. Like, you're... I don't... I mean, I don't know. I've never done Coke while sick, but... Right? <laughs> maybe that maybe like that's a, a thing. That sounds like a miserable... I don't want to be high on Coke, like, while I'm vomiting. That sounds horrible. You just be vomiting while telling everybody how awesome you are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a goddamn champion, bruh. Oh, yeah. You certainly are, sir. All right, enough vomit. Um, yep. Because okay. I know some people get, like, super sensitive about that. Yep. I'm actually going to put a trigger warning, like, multiple minutes about talking about vomit. <laughs> Vomit and baseball, America's pastimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, boohoo! Now that the All Stars have been disbanded and baseball is no longer delaying Joe Sang's execution, a letter writing campaign begins. Joe's mother, his priest, and other family members begin bombarding Wyoming Governor Kerry with pleas to commute Joe's sentence from the death penalty to life in prison. Including in this letter writing campaign is Alta Lloyd, the wife of Joe's murder victim and former lover. Unfortunately, while he is moved by these impassioned letters, Governor Carey declines to commute Joe's sentence. Damn, Governor Carey. Way harsh. Yeah. May 24th, 1912 is execution day for Joe Singh. The prison goes on lockdown starting the day before. Joe spends his last hours playing cards, drinking coffee, and writing letters to his mother and siblings. Just before 2.30 in the morning, Joe is led to the gallows. He gave a slight smile, uh, embraced, not embarrassed, embraced his friend Dr. McGee and said, quote, tell my mother goodbye from me, doctor. Oh, I know. Like the fact that he was working like in the infirmary, like right. You know, it's not just baseball. I so I like Joe, he, not just like for the baseball, but he seems like a really genuine guy. And there, I've read multiple media accounts of the murder of William Lloyd, and it does seem like the men were kind of confronting each other, but William. Mm, it sounds like he pulled his gun first and aimed it at Alta, and Joe shot him in actual self-defense for the two of them. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, even if that's not exactly what happened, like, 
It's like a lover's quarrel. Like, he doesn't seem like the kind- That's not the kind of murderer that I think needs to be removed from the face of the earth. Exactly. Like, he, I, unless he was in Texas specifically, I don't think he would get the death penalty today. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. And he definitely seems reformed. I mean, he's assisting the doctor while everybody's puking around him. Like, that's... Right. Like, he's, he's being helpful in yes, a very he's... important way. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Well, at this time, Wyoming used a unique system for their executions. As the condemned inmate stepped on the trapdoor and the gallows, a plug was removed from the pail of water acting as a counterbalance. As the water emptied from the pail, the trapdoor would be sprung. This eliminated the need for an executioner and made the inmate their own de facto executioner. Um, our boy, uh, Albert, would be horrified. Right? Uh... Yes, as as am I. This is pretty awful. <laughs> and I'm not a big fan of hanging to begin with. But. So, okay. Well, so wait, okay. I don't quite, like, I'm trying to visualize. Like, you have so, to kick your own pail of water? So, no, they have, so instead of an executioner pulling the lever that springs the trapdoor, that lever is, like, connected to a pail of water and like as the pail empties that's what triggers the lever so like the the mechanism that actually opens the trap door opens as the pail of water empties i have no idea how like i don't know okay i I, they don't i I try i search forever trying to find like actually how this happens but i'm not exactly sure diagram or something exactly so it's yeah but it, it acts as a countermeasure. I guess it's like what holds it in place. And as like the bucket rises because the water is going out, as it becomes lighter, like that's what maybe like flips the switch, like trips it like a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Yeah. Which. That's fucked up. It is. It is very fucked up. Albert would be appalled. As he should be. So, sadly, this method made for very slow execution. Prisoners' necks were not snapped, and instead, they were left to slowly strangle to death. This could take upwards of 30 minutes. 3-0. Yeah, so if, like, the bucket wasn't rising fast enough to, like, hit the switch fast enough, and, like, just kind of slowly flipped it, like, the trapdoor would slowly open... And you would slowly just hang there till you die. Oh my god. Oh my god. That's awful. That's so awful. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Ugh. That is something else. Like, even bleeding out for 30 minutes. I don't even think you can bleed out for 30 minutes. Like, that's way too much time. Yeah. That is a long time to sit there and die. And know you're dying. Right? Like how, like, it's, and you don't, can't even, like, pass out. You know, like, from lack of oxygen or something. Uh, you might. Depends on if they got the rope tight enough, which I hope they would. At least you'd pass out. I, I would fucking hope so. And, like, not be conscious for all 30 minutes. Right? Yeah. That's. Yeah. 
Fucking Christ, Wyoming. Get your act together. <laughs> Fucking Christ, Wyoming. Jesus. <laughs> the Carbon County Journal describes Joe's last minutes, quote, His steps were steady, and he went to his death in a manner which stamped him as a brave man. Oh. I know. Good for you, Joe. Yeah. It would take over 25 minutes for Joe Sang to be declared dead. Joe's body is shipped back to his family in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He is buried in the Sacred Heart Cemetery. After Joe's execution, his former lover, Alta Lloyd, moves to Allentown in the summer of 1912. Sadly, her infant child passes away from pneumonia on October 2nd, 1912. Alta commits suicide two days later. She is buried on one side of Joe. Their infant child is buried on the other side. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so That's tragic. Awful. I know. I know. But at least they're together. Right? I know. I know. And at like, least whoever took care of that, like, had the wherewithal to put her next to him yeah yeah you know if they only had divorced back in 1911 if only that was acceptable like William could have gone off and done his thing and she and Joe could have been together exactly so So that's some bullshit it is some bullshit so, what happened to the rest of the All-Stars? Left fielders Aura Carmen and Earl Stone are released on parole on September 15, 1911. Third baseman John Crotty is released in November of 1911. Second baseman Frank Fitzgerald is released on parole in December of 1911. And backup pitcher A.J. Pendergraft and center fielder Sidney Potter are released January 1912. Pitcher Thomas Cameron is released June of 1912. He moves to Colorado and resumes work as a coal miner. Shortstop Joe Gazzardo is pardoned in July of 1912 after helping to put out a fire in the penitentiary. Team captain George Saban petitions for a reprieve in January 1913. This is denied. To add insult to injury, George watches as his first baseman, Eugene Rowan, is released on parole in November 1913. George decides to take matters into his own hands. So he's the only remaining player that is still in prison. Joe's dead and everybody else has been released. Ugh. Yeah. December 17th, 1913, accompanied by a prison guard, George runs several errands, including visiting the local bank. George asks permission to visit several friends while the guard relaxes at a nearby hotel. The guard trusts George and lets him go by himself. Man, things have changed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Prisoners run errands? Like, right. What? <laughs> so, George never returns. <laughs> when questioned, the guard states he thought the escaped inmate would eventually return, and the guard wanted to avoid getting into trouble for not supervising his prisoner more closely. 
George Saban is never heard from again. He makes a clean escape and disappears into the ether. I give that five out of five poison brooms. Yeah. <laughs> five out of five cans of Coke and mustard. Cans of Coke and mustard. <laughs> I kind of want to try that just to see like how fucking awful it is. Like, just mix a little bit of mustard in with my Coke next time. Yeah. <laughs> that might be my last yeah. meal for this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, do it. That's amazing. That's an amazing idea. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, way to go, George. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait, what was his crime again? So, he was the what? He was a cattle rancher that murdered three sheep, sheep herders because they were disputing okay. over grazing okay. land. Okay, then, then yeah, go, George. Yep. That is so badass. <laughs> fucked up and was never heard from again. Well, and he had all that money saved from doing all the gambling on the team, so he was probably set for life. Damn. Yeah. Yep, well done, That's George. Well done, George. So, the man behind all of this, Sheriff Felix Alston remains warden of the Wyoming State Penitentiary until March of 1919, and he will pass away in 1956 at the ripe old age of 87. The Wyoming State Penitentiary will use their unique gallows until May of 1933. The gas chamber will replace the gallows as the preferred method of execution. We don't have too many of, of the gas chamber. I feel like we've done a lot with lethal injection. Yeah. And a decent, like a standard amount, I think, of electric chair. Yeah, well, it's the gas chamber was really popular from like the 30s through the 60s. And I don't know, it's just hard to find people's meals and information from back then. Yeah. So, but I will work on adding more gas chambers for for next season. Well, no, I just wonder if, like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I just wonder if, like, maybe, you know, it wasn't as widely adopted as the other techniques. Uh, yes and no. It's certainly, like, gallows are really cheap. It's just wood. You can put them up wherever. It might take a couple right. of days and some lumber. But gas chambers are really involved and expensive to build. See, yeah, that that makes sense as to why, yeah. like, you don't need to necessarily be too concerned with the people in and around the chamber with, like, lethal injection. Um, a little bit more risk with electric chair just because you are working with electricity and, you know, that can get yeah. fucked up pretty easily. But, but that's still Yeah, easier. I feel like, like with, with, like, lethal gas, like, you don't want to fuck that up. No, uh-uh. And same thing with electric chair. Like, yeah, it's electricity, like you said, but it's also really cheap to just build a wooden chair and have some guy come in and wire it. So, and you can, again, right. put that in whatever room has a an outlet. <laughs> like, you don't need much right. for <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's, like, no chance that, like, the electricity is going to somehow seep out. <laughs> Right, and, like, exactly. 
hurt the witnesses or like get into the ventilation and then everybody die. Like that's not a thing. So yeah, that yeah. totally makes sense for a gas chamber to not yeah. be as like widely used just because of all the risks and the expense. Yeah. And I mean, that's just pure conjecture on my part, but on our parts, but I think it makes perfect sense. I think it does too. We're going to go with that. I feel like we've been doing this enough that, like, we have a little cred. Exactly. Just a little bit. We kind of know what we're talking about. Just a little bit. Right. Uh, Okay, and finally, the Wyoming State Penitentiary closes for good in 1981. Yeah. So that is an incredible story, and I discovered it. Somebody posted, like, one of those, like, did you know memes on Facebook, and I was like, this baseball team played baseball to extend their life so they wouldn't have to be executed. I was like, no fucking way. Like, that's bullshit. And then I started Googling. I was like, oh, fuck. No, this really happened. (laughs) How is this not a movie? Right? Right? This is an incredible story. I think it would make... I mean, we have, what, two versions of The Longest Yard, and I think they even did a sequel to the second one. Like, how... This is... I mean, Which is not necessary. No, com- nobody was asking for that. Nobody was asking for that at all. It, it just, yeah. I want the cast of Shawshank. Right? To play baseball. Right? And, and baseball's yes. America's, like, and it, America's favorite pastime. It's got great redemption arcs. It's got a little bit of romance with Joe and Alta. It really like, does. I, I, Right? And it's Cowboys because it's 1911. Like, this is everything America. And it's in Wyoming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This I, yeah. is an opportunity. It it really is. And I, yeah. And I feel like we haven't had a good sports movie in a while and we're due for one. Yeah. Oh my god, now I want to watch Miracle. I was just thinking about it. Again. I want to watch the Miracle. I want to watch Field of Dreams. Oh, I haven't watched that one forever. I know. Moneyball is really good, too. Field of Dreams is just, it's just classic. Oh, it is. It is. Man. Yeah, I don't think I can watch a sports movie without crying. Oh, I ball like a baby every time I watch Miracle. I get so I, I don't think I have watched a sports movie without, like, crying at the championship. <laughs> right? I even get, like, a little teary-eyed at the replacements. Oh, my God. I love the replacements. Right? Oh. I think the only and one I have to cry at is probably Waterboy. <laughs> or maybe right? Billy Madison, maybe. <laughs> right. Right probably haven't cried about um, <laughs> Oh my god, Henry Winkler in that movie is fantastic. Oh, I love him. Like, love where he's Henry having Winkler. his freak out, like, his flashback freak out, yeah. and he's on the phone, but, like, the line <laughs> is cut off, and he's wearing high heels, and he's talking yes. to his, I think, grandma or something. <laughs> he's having a complete mental breakdown, like, <laughs> hashtag relatable. Right? Yeah. So relatable. <laughs> um, so moral of the story, go watch sports movies. Yeah. Yep. 
by this. Oh, I just, I love this story so much. It's delightful. And like Nana always asks like, oh, what do you guys do on the podcast this week? And I told her about this one. She's like, no, there's no way. And I was like, no, it li- like way, 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 way. Like you'll, way, have to, <laughs> you'll have to listen to the episodes. Yes. This is amazing. And yes. what a like nice little nugget of history. Right. Right. I just, mm. it's such a crossroads of American history. Yeah. True crime is fucking awesome. Yes. Yep. It is. Agreed. This was great, Nance. Thank you. Thank I, I was particularly proud of this one. <laughs> there is no crying in prison. Oh, what did I used to say? There was no crying in hockey unless you're Patrick Kane after you punch a taxi driver over 89 cents or however much it was. Jesus. Oh, I can't stand that man. I, like, know so many people who love Patrick Kane. I know. Like, my bias as a blues player or a blues fan is showing, but, like, also... You physically assaulted a man doing you a service because he wouldn't give you 89 cents back. Like, you're kind of a twat at that point. And you're kind of, like, what, a millionaire? Oh, easy. He has one of the biggest contracts in hockey. Like, come on. You've kind of won the Stanley Cup. So, like, you're kind of one of the top, like, players in the game. (laughs) So, what the fuck, 89 cents? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's some bullshit. It is. <laughs> What's not bullshit is articles that helped with research this week. <laughs> Larry, nice. thank you. Larry Detlin wrote The Death Row Inmates Forced to Play Baseball for Their Lives for the New York Post. Shannon Quinn wrote In 1910, Death Row Inmates Played for Baseball for Their Lives for the History Collection. It was actually 1911, so you got that wrong, Shannon, but it's okay. Death Row All-Stars, a story baseball, corruption, and murder by Howard Kazan, Kazanjan and Chris in- Innes. Fuck's sake. Um, that that, those really are great headlines. It, it is. That last one is a great book. It took me like an hour and a half to read through. You can get it on Kindle from Amazon for like five bucks. So. Amazing. And yes. we should now call ourselves the Death Row All-Stars. I yes, I want a baseball jersey that says that now. Oh my god, we're making baseball yes. jerseys. Threadless, it's happening. Yes, absolutely, it is. I all man like that baseball like riding death throw all stars with like the swoopy. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the Hardy Boy on this immediately. And it's gotta have like lightning. Oh, absolutely. Because about yes. the lightning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's happening. Yes, yes, it is. I love it. Oh my god. Even if we're the only ones who buy that T-shirt from us, I'm, I'm still happy. Fine, fine, yep. totally fine with it. Worth it. Yes. No regrets. <laughs> All right, guys. Really quick before we wrap up here, this is the end of season five. Uh, Drew and I have discussed it. It's been a very long season for us. 
So we are going to take the next like seven to eight weeks off and we will be back in July. So I'm sorry that's a long time, but we need to rest and recover and recuperate. This has been a kind of a rough one. Yeah, just a rough quarter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but we have ideas and yes. I think they're great ideas. So yes. when we do come back, it's going to be with a bang. Absolutely it is. With a prison bang. I'm not going to make a gangbang joke about that. Okay. I'm going to be the bigger person. That's that's actually probably the best idea. <laughs> Just walk right over that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, thank you for joining us, not only for this episode, but for all of the other ones we've done. We hope you've enjoyed this crazy ride as much as we have. Rate and review us on wherever you're listening to this podcast. Death Row Kitchen can be found on social media, including Facebook at Death Row Kitchen, Twitter at Death Row Kitchen Pod, our Gmail account, Death Row Kitchen Pod at gmail.com. Threadless for all of your t shirt needs. We'll make an announcement when those baseball tees are available. That is Death Row Kitchen slash threadless.com. Patreon.com slash Death Row Kitchen if you want to toss us a couple of bones. Drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of the episodes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for next season, let us know. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in a couple of months. I am Nancy. I'm Drew. And this has been Death Row Kitchen. Death Row Kitchen. Just wanted to provide a quick shout out to Kevin McLeod for providing us with our theme, Half Mystery.